Welcome to the Birth Uprising Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah, a chiropractor, birth educator, and lifelong questioner of nonsensical rules and authority. I'm here to help you navigate the maze that is maternity care and to think more critically about what you've been told is necessary and normal during pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. We as women are tired of being coerced, lied to, and manipulated. And through education, we're taking back our power. So grab a cup of coffee and join the uprising. All right, welcome back to the Birth Uprising podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah. I'm here with Emily, and we have a special guest today, one of Emily's doula clients, Rachel, who is going to tell us all about her birth, all about the work that she does. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So tell us a little bit about you, the work that you do, and then we'll get into talking about your birth. Okay. So my name is Rachel Martin. I live in the Austin area and I am a massage therapist and athletic trainer. My background is in athletics. And then as I've moved to Austin and then over the past two years of pregnancy and birth, I've started working more with moms, but I work with the PEMF. It's guided PEMF. And Explain so, what that is. So PEMF is pulsed electromagnetic <laughs> magnetic frequency. And the, the short um, version of it is that it's charging up your cells. So it can systemically help throughout your body anywhere. But I work a lot with orthopedic issues. And then I now have another niche within C-section scars and helping moms recover in that way and just in postpartum recovery, just helping uteruses go back to their normal size and feeling better in postpartum, helping. I do a lot of vagus nerve work, helping with anxiety and things like that. So if you think of yourself as a battery, I'm just helping you get that charge back up to where it should be and have optimal health. Okay. So as a trainer, I hate when people say that as a trainer, <laughs> um, so I love body work. I'm like addicted to body work. I always, before referring, get a session done myself. That's how I like, I think, feel like that's what people should do. So Rachel tells me she does this thing. I'm like, what is PEMF? Like some weird <laughs> stuff. And but I was like, yeah, I want to try it because if it's awesome, I want to refer people to you. It is insane. You guys, if you've ever tried an e-stim, it feels like that, but basically she stands on this plate mat. Yeah, I stand on the grounding mat, and then the person that's receiving the treatment has the electrons plate underneath them. Yeah, and so basically the e-stim machine, you put like a little sticker on your back or wherever you need the stimulation. It goes through her hand, so she's massaging you as you're getting the like e-stim sensation through her hand. It is the most insane feeling. And I was thinking I need to see you again soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you're in the Austin area and you're listening to this and you're like, ooh, that sounds nice. It's so awesome. So just want to hype that up. Yeah. And I work with moms like that have kids that are like 20 years old. And I work through their C-section scar and I'm able to get them out of back pain that they've been experiencing since then. So which kind of leads into my birth story of uh, in me working Perfect. in that, I really did not want to have a C-section <laughs> right. because I knew what the aftermath was like. Right. And I've been helping all of these people. So to rewind, I will edit a few things in the whole birth story for privacy of family and other things. But essentially, my partner passed away. And so I was doing all of this on my own. And so I knew before I'd gotten pregnant that I wanted to have a home birth. I watched my friend Leslie Burris. She's an IG friend. So shout out to her. She's given birth on Instagram live twice and about to do it again for a third time. And so in watching wow, her the first time, it just really inspired me. And so also at the time, I didn't have insurance. And so paying for a midwife was cheaper than paying for a hospital birth. Mm -hmm. So um, that's how things began. So needless to say, my pregnancy was also very unexpected. <laughs> so and it started with literally the day after conception was when the death occurred. So that's how I walked into it. 
And yeah. so I obviously, when I was setting up my birth team, I was looking for people that aligned with what I, that the, my convictions on how I wanted to have my birth. And I was also looking for somebody that could almost be like a partner for me. And so I was very intentional with how I set up my, who I picked for my midwives, who I picked for my doula, my birth photographer, all of those things were so important. And along the way, I was connected to Emily. And um, so before that, I guess I um, had already bucked the system by most people telling me how awful home birth was. <laughs> and so I just kept it pretty close to my chest for the most of my pregnancy. Um, but also throughout that, I worked out this entire time. And I worked, you probably can't see my machine, it's back there, but that was another thing. So the guided PEMF that we were just discussing, it goes through my body. And so I, we didn't know what was going to happen with that. And so I just took a chance and was like, I have to work, right? Like, I can't not work my pregnancy. Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to pay for all of these things? And so, yeah, I worked all the way through and worked out all the way to 39 weeks. I was ready for a home birth. Luckily in there, I had knew that my daughter would um, qualify for Medicaid once she was born. And so I applied for that. And thank goodness I got it literally two weeks before I had her. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. So I had a long labor. It was a marathon labor. And looking back, there's several things about my labor that I feel like, oh, if I would have just done this differently, I might have had a different outcome. But in the end, I've just resolved that it was ha it happened how it was supposed to, because I'm on a greater mission now to help more people. And I needed to walk through it myself. So that was when labor started. Yeah. So it actually started on Saturday. But yeah, I'm. it's really fuzzy for me. But so it started Saturday. It I just remember I couldn't move. Like I couldn't do, I had stuff to get done. I was getting stuff done. I had people at my house. I was getting stuff done and I couldn't move. I was just like, God, I'm just so uncomfortable. I'm so uncomfortable not realizing like I'd been experiencing these pains for two days before I realized like, oh, this is early labor. Like I had, <laughs> I was just clueless. And so yeah. then finally they like, where I looked at the clock, I was laying there and trying to relax. And then I saw that it was 15 minutes and I was like, oh, that was a contraction. I mean, like I was seriously like, I thought I was in tune with my body, but it was just such a like dull, like I expected something much more grandiose, I think. Totally. And so then I didn't want to go into the night on Sunday night. By this point, they're like I said, 15 minutes apart. And Emily was like, once they get down to about 10 minutes apart we just all come up and yeah and I, I wanted to this was the first single mom birth I've ever been to and so for those of you who are listening who are doulas and I share this in my birth class now or in my doula course now because of you I'm like hey uh -huh. if you have a single mom like you're gonna have to be there early like in early yeah. labor because I mean you might not have to you might just go early because right. This woman might want human contact. And if she doesn't have a partner, like, that's kind of your role. And so I told Michael, I was like, hey, I know I usually go, like, later, but this is a different situation. And so I'm, we're going to have a sleepover. And that's kind of <laughs> what we did. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I didn't know what I was walking into, right? Like, this is my yeah. first birth. I, I have no clue what's about to happen. And I also just felt like it was going to go quicker somehow. I don't know. Um, yeah. Because I was, oh, so I was 39 weeks and two days when I went into labor. And so, yeah, we had a sleepover. My midwife had suggested a little wine, just like a sh small amount, just to take the edge off and wine. try to sleep. Oh, yeah. it was like chocolate flavor. It so was. Bad. Yeah. I was it like, was oh, let's good. have wine. It was terrible. It was not good. And it did not help me sleep. I think Emily got a little sleep. I was trying to be quiet for her, but needless to say, it just kept progressing. And this is one of the things where I wish, I mean, just knowing what I know now, it was very dark. And when I was dark, I was, we got down to like 90 second contractions, three to four minutes apart. And I had this huge bay window 
that was beautiful. But as soon as the sun started coming in, it was like everything slowed back down. And I had my midwife check me that at that point because she came probably like five or six in the morning on Monday morning now or oh, yeah. Tuesday. And um, so she checked me, but I told her not to tell me where I was at. Um, and then kept progressing. I'm at, by some time. I know what time I went to the hospital. Spoiler, I went to the hospital. But <laughs> I think somewhere in there, I I lost my train of thought. It happens all the time. Yeah, we were just thinking about like what time the midwife came again, yeah, what time so things were. I feel like, oh, I know what it was. I started throwing up. Remember, like she had given me something and I tried to eat solids. And I was like, oh, I'm in transition. That's what I tell myself in my head. Like, oh, I'm in transition. I'm throwing up. Yeah, no, I wasn't. So then when she checked me again, she told Emily where I was, but she did not tell me. Thought I was in transition and I was not. And and I was not. I was far from it. <laughs> but that's a, I, they, contractions were getting stronger. And she told Emily where I was when she checked me again then. Okay, and then, and then whenever probably two or three hours later oh i got in the we got the pool set up it was too warm i felt like that was another thing that kind of like looking back kind of slow things, things out, out. Mm-hmm. and and this is that's a good point because especially again for the birth workers like sometimes and even first time moms sometimes mm-hmm. getting in the tub especially when you're been progressing for as long as rachel has is what your nervous system needs to calm down and your body to do its thing. And sometimes it can stall labor. Yeah. And it's such a, and I would say it's not even a risk because I would say most of the time it does what you want. Right. When you do it at the right time. But sometimes it can stall labor. And that is like when you go into labor and you have midwives, they're like, don't get in the tub until I get there. You're just like, okay, okay. So, yeah, I think that definitely happened, too. Yeah, that and I. So then after that, the getting out, because I just wasn't comfortable in the tub. Then I was just cold. And then I was wet and cold. And then I would try and I was just like uncomfortable. Like all I remember from getting in that tub until I transferred was how uncomfortable I was. Yeah. So, yeah. So then we made the decision. She checked me again and she's like, I'm going to give you an hour. Like, let's walk. Let's do the things to like progress this. And at that point, I walked everywhere. We did the stairs. I'm surprised I didn't wake anybody up throughout the day in my hallway. Cause I'm in an apartment, by the way. Having, I was listening to an earlier episode where you were talking about women can home birth anywhere. Yes, I was in a one bedroom apartment making yep. all of this happen. And luckily, I didn't ever run into my neighbors while I was out there having contractions. Yeah, cause it was like in the middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> so then oh my water had not broken this whole time either which is an important thing that my midwives at that point advised me to transfer for an epidural because of of, breaking your water right because I had asked for my water to be broken and I think the reason they did it is because you were like four centimeters I was five yeah you were five. five okay yeah I was five centimeters and I had very strong opinions on how I wanted to have my birth and so they knew <laughs> that if I my water was broken, then that would take away some of my decision making. And yeah. so that was really important that she did not want that to be the case. Totally. So I agreed to transfer. I'd had some previous experiences with COVID testing. And so I was very nervous about that. So... Yeah. Shout out to my nurse. Don't remember her name, but she <laughs> helped walk me through that because the protocols were oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. And just like this was, she just November turned 2021. Yeah, yeah. November of 2021. So like Austin was still a little weird when it came to the like hospital COVID policies. Mm-hmm. And especially the hospital you were at was like weirdly hardcore about it. So mm-hmm. that was a big part of the home birth, too. Did Emily go with you 
no. To the hospital? Because they had a two-person max. Yeah. And so at the time, they had they had a two-person max. And at this point, Emily's still breastfeeding and already been away for over 24 hours, almost 24 hours at this <laughs> point. And so, and I had a midwife and two students. And then my birth photographer. And the photographer. And then your mom was right. on the way. Exactly. Because we text yeah. my mom from <laughs> Kansas Monday morning thinking I'm going to have a baby in the eight hours that she's driving down here. And she got here and I was transferring to the hospital. Mm. And then, so my midwives helped check me in. What's interesting is when I was standing, they dropped me off at the door so I didn't have to walk because the parking lot was very full. There was lots of construction around the hospital. And people just walked past me as I'm laboring and having a full contraction and just looked at me like I had two heads. Nobody offered to help me. Nothing. Like people are just walking in and out. Then there's a gatekeeper handing out a masks. And she told me, did I have a mask? And I'm like looking around for where to go. And I kid you not, I sat there and did at least three to four contractions. My midwife's walking up and then she comes over and she's like, are you okay? No, I'm an active laborer. <laughs> I am not okay. Austin was no chill around the hospitals. Hopefully it's better now, but. Yeah, she handed me my mask on, with tongs. Tongs? <laughs> I was like, lady, like, I, that is the last thing on my mind right now. Like, I cannot breathe, and I'm trying to just breathe through these. <laughs> That's like, out here, I'm in Massachusetts, and I'm sure they did this other places, too. I went to Starbucks a couple of times during uh -huh. that time, and you'd go up to the drive-thru, and what they would do is they'd make your drink in a to-go plastic or paper cup, uh -huh. and then they'd put that, they'd touch it, and then they'd put it in a mug like a ceramic mug, and then hold the handle of the mug and hand it to you. I'm like, how is that helping? Like, you already touched it. Yeah. No, they don't care about you. They care about them. That's what it was. But we're, st but we're still that close to one another. Right. Like, and then if I have to, I have my debit card still or whatever I'm paying with. Yeah. Like, what? So tongs. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Got it. Yeah. So <laughs> I just remember being like, I do not care right now. Like that was like the last thing on my mind. So epidural did not take. I could feel everything on my left side. I felt my catheter go in when she did that. Yeah. It was yeah. You have red hair. Mm -hmm. I did know. People with red hair, a lot of times they have a an inability, like pain medication doesn't work on them. Anesthesia right. doesn't work on them a mm -hmm. lot more frequently than the average person who I did does not know have this. that color hair. Yep. You know? I learned this back when I was doing athletic training very early on with a surgeon I worked with. And then, yeah, so the epidurals are supposed to work by gravity. And I kept laying on my left side and it just didn't take. So he came and did another bolus. It still didn't work. So he ended up having to come back and rethread it. Shout out to him, though. He was actually a very nice man that helped me. And the second time, it worked enough to, like, make me somewhat comfortable. I could not stand that fetal monitor thing being on me. I mm. wanted to rip it off. I wanted to have her so bad to get that stupid thing off. It was so uncomfortable. Once I got strapped down, hooked up to yeah. an IV and the fetal monitoring, I just... I couldn't get comfortable, but I ha was comfortable enough that I got the whole reason why I went to transfer, right, was for a nap. I got five to six hours. So in the middle of the night, I've progressed. They'd started the Pitocin somewhere around probably midnight, 1 a.m. At this point, I'm at eight centimeters. Water still hasn't broken. We're now into Monday morning. Um, or excuse me, Tuesday morning. And from there... I'm going to say around eight. I really don't know. remember what time of day, really. My midwives were then on call. So they helped get me checked in. By this point, my mom's arrived. My birth photographer was there for a while. She goes home. She comes back that next morning. And so my mom was with me the whole time. And then my midwives had a call sheet of like, if it's between this time, call this person, whatever. Once you get progressed enough, we'll be there with, for your birth. And so that was at like eight something in the morning. So she comes back. And this is the one thing that I was like, I'm never, I'm not going to push like with coach pushing. And that is the one thing that I did that I was like, I'm not going to do that. But at the time, I just didn't even know what was happening by this point. I yeah. just was ready for it to be over with. And so 
sometime around 10, they went to check. And right when she went to check my water, because, oh, Emily kept saying, like, feel and see where she's at. Feel and see where she's at. You're going to feel something hard. And I'm like, all I see, it just feels like muscle. Well, it's because my bag of waters was bulging so much. I was never pushing mm -hmm. past it. So that's why I could never feel any her head. So it broke right then. And the other thing about my transfer to the hospital is that I had a midwife. So I was able to transfer to a, a midwife working at the hospital. That, that is the one nice thing about St. David's is they do have mm -hmm. midwives. Yeah, yeah. That is and great. My, that midwife that I transferred in with, she actually had worked previously with my midwives. So they were all oh, cool. with one another. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. And my nurse, I mean, I tell moms all the time now, like, it's not so much about your OB when you're going that route. You just pray you have a good nurse. I mean, it's just yeah. luck of the draw with your nurse when you're in the hospital mm -hmm. setting. And so from there, I pushed because we thought she was further down than she turned out to be. But I mean, like my birth photographer was like, she has hair. Like they could see that much of her. But I pushed for four hours. I was squatting. I was lunging. I like they were shocked at what positions I could get into. But my left leg still functioned. So you still had the epidural, like just was not fully working. Yes. So you were like able to move on oh. one side more than the other? Yes, exactly. Like my right leg felt like it was swollen and just dead. And my left leg mm. was a workhorse. Like I, <laughs> I was moving. But keep in mind, yeah. I was doing Pilates all the way up till 39 weeks. So I was very strong. Yeah. And I was ready. I was like, this is the biggest athletic event in my life. I am training for it. <laughs> and so then after four hours of no progression, they came and, well, what was funny is an anesthesiologist comes in and she's here for, she's like, I'm here for the C-section. And I was like, wrong room. <laughs> so they had already been discussing it. And I obviously was unaware of that until later, just because oh, I wasn't making any progress. And so I have a picture that my birth photographer got of them talking to me about it because I was so upset because I'd worked so hard and I'd done all the things and this was not supposed to happen to me. And I was like, selfishly, I'm just mad because I don't want to be cut. It's my body. And the <laughs> midwife was like, that's not selfish. Like, that's okay. No. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. then Tuesday night, she finally arrived and she was Holy here. Holy moly. Yeah. So it was yeah. a marathon. So you agreed to I did. have a C-section then? I did okay. agree because my mom was with me. She had me naturally. She had my brother emergency C-section. They knocked her out. She didn't even get to meet him for like Ugh. hours. Oh, man. They just came in and woke her up in the middle of the night and wheeled her in because he, I mean, she really doesn't even know. They said he had D-cells or something. And then with my sister, she was going to have a V-back, ended up having a scheduled C-section. And she's like, as someone who's had both, because obviously there's just like this unknowing, right? We've added epidural, we've added Pitocin, like there's so many other variables to the situation. And I just wanted it to be over by that point that I just yeah. said, okay, let's just do this. Because she said, you, I can tell you after going through both, it's easier to be aware of what's going on than the alternative. And so I was like, okay. True. Yeah. And yeah. so I made it very clear on all of my choices on what I wanted to happen when she was born. We did immediate skin to skin. I wanted as much delayed cord clamping as was safe. Um, How much should they give you? A minute. Okay. A full minute, which obviously when your insides are opened up, I mean, that's what's safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I was getting my placenta encapsulated. So like every, I felt like even though it wasn't what I wanted, it's still was very much, I still felt empowered throughout all of my choices. The one thing that I wish I would have known was to tell them not to take her burnix off. I just didn't know when I had said skin to skin, I didn't know to tell them not to rub it off because I also had already known to swab. So my midwife, she swabbed my vaginal canal before I went in and then they set that aside and immediately inoculated her with that all over her Oh, face. that's awesome. Mm -hmm. So I had yeah, done that so before. Maybe share a little bit about that because I don't think, I think people are learning more about that, but yeah. I think it's more of a new thing. Before you go on, let me say, you, your story is a good example of sometimes 
a C-section is the best option mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. And you don't necessarily have to plan for it. Like this is, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm definitely, if your birth plan is I'm going to stay home, it's like way in the back of your mind. But knowing what your options are mm -hmm. in case for some reason you do end up there, it can be better. Just yeah. like what you decided to do. The more options you know you have, the better. Because then you don't feel like control was completely taken from you and you were completely blindsided. You have some sort of control over the situation, even if it's not, even if it's not exactly what you were hoping for. Right. And also shout out to Sacred Birth Doula. I think that's her name on I was just going to say. So I bought her birth, birth Over Rights, I think is the name of it, package. And she has it for every single state. And it has all, I was 17 pages. And I walked into that hospital with my birth plan that I had done from the birth class I took and those 17 pages and they gave me no, they gave me no trouble. They were like, this girl means business. But they, so yeah. like, even before I went into the C-section, like we had like a, I don't remember what they called it, but basically like the nurse read off every single thing that I did and did not want. And then the doctor repeated it and then I okayed it. And then we started everything. Wow, as that as, is fantastic. So as far as the inoculation, I learned about it in a documentary a long time ago, actually, when I learned about PMS. Oh, wow. And oh, it, they were just talking about microbiome and how that's so much of that bacteria as the baby's coming through the vaginal canal. That's the first bacteria that's creating the baby's gut lining. And yeah. so people that work with microbiome testing can usually tell a C-section baby because it's just so different. And they're coming into the sterile environment. So it was really important for me to do everything I could to still provide that for my daughter, even though it was a different path. Right. So it's also called vaginal seeding. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah. And so it can be that. called either thing. On my, I have a birth plan that I have a C section yeah. on. And that's one of the things that's on there. All these things are on there that you mentioned because you really should know them. So I'm glad that you found that information and that you had something where you found all of your rights and that they took you seriously. Because if you come in and you look like you know what you're talking about, you're more likely to be taken seriously. Well, yeah. And obviously on my chart, it said I didn't have a partner. And yeah. so then like even the, the midwife, she came in with me, which it's not common for the midwife to come in when the OB takes over. But she was with me. She was like massaging my scalp. She was like making oh, sure I was so comfortable. Nice. She like leaned over and she's like, she said, mine didn't die, but he was an asshole. So I've been single momming it for a long time. Like, you can do this. <laughs> and so <laughs> she also was in there in case, like, I had pushed down too far and we needed somebody to push her back up because that was a possibility as well. And so yeah. the, the doctor had asked since she had already been helping me push if she would help with that. So, yeah, I felt like I got, like, as heart-centered care as you can get within the mm -hmm. system of hospital care. But yeah, I, I feel very fortunate in how educated I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just to reiterate or repeat, really, sacred birth doula. If you don't follow her, Sarah, this woman is so rad on Instagram. She's savage. I love her. Savage. I think I do. Um, so Hold it's on. called Rights Over My Body, I think is what the package is called. Mm-hmm. I have it on my computer. Yeah, it's a document basically stating all of your rights. And just FYI, and this is what I try and share in my birth education classes. Like, no one's going to call the cops. No one can force you to do anything. Yeah, there's always a risk of CPS. But if you have documents stating your rights, they cannot refuse them. They're going to call CPS as a scare tactic threat situation of like, it's a flex. Mm -hmm. And if you have this package, this birth package is incredible. They're like, oh, shit. Exactly. Like you said, she means business. And mm -hmm. OK, here we go. Yeah. So even though I didn't have partner, they having that, I think, was a nice little backup. Because even once my daughter was born and I was in the postpartum, section which by the way i had her tuesday at like almost 6 p.m i checked out of that hospital thursday morning 
which is like unheard of after a c-section i was like they kept asking i was in the hospital five days yeah they kept trying to keep me they i chose it i chose it though because i didn't have family or anyone Mm -hmm. and the food was really good (laughs) so i was like oh you're gonna make me sandwiches and salmon because i'm not gonna be able to make anything at home so i actually stayed a long time yeah that's funny yeah i they just kept saying how are you doing mentally like are you okay no, this place is depressing because like the room was like weird figured. It was this ugly tan. And I was like, my whole house is set up for postpartum. It's mm-hmm. set up for me to have a baby there right now. You want me to be happy and are worried about my mental health? Let me go home. Like I remember arguing with the nurse when I got to the postpartum room. She was like, okay, you can walk at 3 a.m. I said, no, I can walk at midnight. And she was like, no, it I has walk to- when I want to walk. <laughs> she said it has to be six hours after you. I said the anesthesiologist told me that I got that thing taken out at 6 p.m. And that six hours later is midnight. Mm-hmm. I am walking at midnight. She's like, well, you didn't get over here. And I was like, I don't care about that. That stuff stopped flowing mm-hmm. through me at 6 p.m. That's awesome. Yeah, I was bound and determined. So you got home. Yes. And everything's all set up for postpartum. Yes. Did you still continue postpartum care with your midwife? Yes. So my midwives, they do a two-day checkup, a two-week checkup, and a six-week checkup for you and baby, right? So that was something about the hospital that, oh, just one other thing, going back to the vaginal standing really quick. They, at the hospital, they did not want to do it. So if that's something that you are going to be doing, you will probably have to advocate for yourself just as an aside. Um, I'm sure. You do anything that's different, even if there's evidence to show yeah. that it's useful, they don't want anything to do with it. No. Because so, it's, more, it's more work for them. Yeah. Right. The pediatrician, that the first pediatrician that came to check my daughter, she and I got into it because she did not agree with some of my prenatal care of... Um, for gestational diabetes screening, I did a glucometer for two weeks, fasting and one hour after three meals a day. Which is way more accurate, way yeah. more accurate. than one one stupid drink. Yes. Like, you want to see how my body's responding to glucose? Watch, and in a real world scenario yeah. where I'm eating my normal food, that's so much more accurate yeah, than I one shelf-stable drink full of flame retardants. Yes. So she did not agree with that. And she wanted to prick my baby and test her blood sugar. And I was like, there's no indication for it. So then she also, I chose not to do hepatitis B or vitamin K. And then she wanted to tell me that they have a pink label version of the vitamin K and that I could only receive it if I was still at the hospital. And I was like, I've made my decision. I'm good. Thank you. And what does that even mean? I don't know. She gave me some literature and I actually just came across it recently and threw it away. I was like, you want me to read this? And I am like hours postpartum. Like, you got to be crazy. Like, I do not care. Mm -hmm. I did all my research beforehand. Thank you. Yeah. Um, It makes me think like, so is she trying to tell you there's no... Like it's pink labeled does like the Susan G. Komen Foundation. I like, I don't know. Breast cancer awareness. (laughs) Like what? Yeah. Like, I don't know what that means. Vitamin K has a black label on it. Like, that's just a fact. Right. Like, I don't know. Right. Maybe it's a pink, it's a pink box warning instead of a black box. Warning. I don't know. It was so weird. I was just like, okay. Yeah. But she like basically tried to sell it to me. Like I could only get it. I had to make the decision yeah. there. And was it, she's abused car salesman. <laughs> the, the minute you walk off the lot, this car's going to sell. You better buy right? it. Right. So uh, yeah. she, so going along with that, I got, kept getting asked who my pediatrician was in order for me to leave. Right. And so I just kept telling them cause they wanted to do all this testing, right. They wanted to do blood glucose and everything. The only thing I agreed to, uh, they, I wouldn't even let them take her away to go weigh her. They had to bring the thing into my room. I was like, no, she, yeah. you can bring it in here. Well, and you can request that you can request all of the testing yeah. be done either in your presence, uh-huh. you can go with them, or most of it can be done in the room. They can bring a scale in. If you've ever seen a scale yeah. that a baby lays on, loud. it weighs like three pounds. It's the same like size as the little it. plastic box that they get laid in. Right. So, yeah, like the hearing testing, all of that other stuff was done in my room. 
And the only thing that I agreed to was Billy Rubin testing, obviously. that's I felt like that was important to know where she was at. And yeah, everything else I declined. And they kept asking, who's going to be the pediatrician? Who's going to follow up? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, my midwives are still, I'm, we're still in their care for the first six weeks. And so between that and me giving- Oh, they had the name, to love that. Yeah. Well, luckily the midwife, so the midwife that was with me during the pushing labor and my delivery- she advocated for me. She's the one that went and got the hospitalist to approve me getting dismissed because I was like, I'm signing an AMA if you don't let me out nicely. Um, and yeah, so she checked on me both days that I was there and really followed up and made sure that I was good. So I think that helped too. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. But yeah, my midwives had my care until six weeks. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. That's at least you got that because if you were planning on being in the hospital, you would get a visit at six weeks. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it would be, it's not nearly the same. No. And the, to leave you alone after all that for six whole weeks and have no one checking on you mentally, physically, mm -hmm. only caring about the baby is just, it just speaks to the fact that you were just a vessel to grow this baby and now you're useless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can feed it from a container that we mix with water. We don't really need you. Yeah. So, so that I'm glad that you were able to continue that. Because, and yeah. I am still breastfeeding at 14, 15 months now, 15 months today, actually. And I, I like the choices that I made were not necessarily out of like, oh, I am better than you because I wanted to do this. It was more out of evidence for what's best for my daughter and also out of necessity of what's affordable. And what's affordable yeah. is not buying formula and yeah. not paying for OB visits. Well, and what's interesting is some people get the genetic screen, the diagnostic test at birth, right? Where they prick the heel and put the blood. We actually did that. And I think back and I'm like, why did we even do that? Some states actually require you okay. to do certain things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in Massachusetts, apparently, I'm sure there's a way to get out of it. Yeah, I'd be like, like okay, come like fucking, a, sorry, arrest me. Yeah, a, a couple, yeah. And I'm sure, and no one's going to, I'm sure. But no. it's, there's a few things that they want to test for different genetic abnormalities. And I don't know why it's, yeah. why are those specific things required and not others? When some states require it and others don't. But they're most often not covered by insurance. So we didn't know that. We got a bill oh, yeah. for like $250. And we were just yeah, like. Yeah, I got one. I got but, one too. They didn't tell me that they were going to, that it wasn't covered, that I didn't know who was, they were going to send it out to. And they sent it to like a local university yeah, hospital. Like, and then they kept trying to send me bills. And I was like, no, no, me personally. And I was like, I have insurance. And they were like, yeah, okay. Do you though? So why don't you just pay it? And then you can uh, call your insurance and try to get them to reimburse. And I was like, that's not how this works. Yeah. Either you're going to call my insurance. I'm going to give you my information and you can bill them. Or you can, I don't know, just write this off because it wasn't supposed to be. And I never paid it. Luckily, that yeah. is the one thing I will say. All my labs were covered by Medicaid. So that was nice. Oh, that's I've, and I've never seen a hospital bill. So well, wow. I was going to ask. You. So you applied for Medicaid for your daughter or for both of you? So the way it works in Prior. Texas is basically I was applying so that as soon as she was born, she would qualify. But they also yeah. offer it for pregnant women. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. Good thing you got approved then. Yeah, because that could have been like some crazy enormous bill or could have changed your mind too on like, what do I accept and what do I not accept? Right. Even if I need it mm -hmm. because of the worry of what that bill could be. Right. Yeah. I and I wasn't even sure when I went. I mean, I knew I had the card, but I was like, I guess I hopefully this works. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> I will tell you just over the course of everything from conception to now, the people and the provision that has been put in my life. Like I had somebody come up to me and was just like, hey, like, how's everything with the hospital? Like, and I said, oh, I've never got a bill. They were like want, willing to pay for Aww. it. Yeah. That. It's just like a stranger. No, mystery? it's my clients. Someone like you know? my, cli my client base. They supported oh, me. So yeah. Through meals after 
coming to visit. So my postpartum time, like was my mom was here. My best friend had drove down from Kansas as well. They were with me for the first week and a half. Emily had me over for Thanksgiving because I wasn't going to Aww. have Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was just like two weeks after her baby was born. <laughs> yeah. She was literally laboring. And I was like, Rachel, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? She's like, I don't know. I was like, okay, you're coming to my house. <laughs> and I told Michael what I got home. I was like, oh, yeah, she's coming to Thanksgiving with her newborn. I, I invited people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was our first big outing ever by myself mm-hmm. with her who was going to Emily's house. And, yeah, so it's just been person after person just in the timeline of helping us out and people being there when we've needed it. And so awesome. Yeah. So if you're from Kansas, what brought you to Texas? Just change of scenery. I was working at a college and I was working with the Electrons Plus, the the technology I talked about earlier, and I wanted to do it on my own. So I came down here and went to massage school and just started mm-hmm. working on my own, doing body work originally. And now I've gotten into, like I said, working with moms, doing body work, and then also now like reaching back and everything I just talked about of everything I've learned, consulting with them. And teaching them how to find a doula, how to ask the right questions, just give them all the things they don't know that they're probably not going to be getting told if they're in a traditional OB setting. Yeah. So Rachel is starting like a consultation service, basically, Mm -hmm. for the people in her life who she meets, moms who are like, I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, okay, (laughs) let's do a consult. And here's a doula. Here's the midwife. Here's the this. Here's the that. Go find this. Go find that. It's like. So great. Like, cause yeah, I sent Emily a client the other day. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is all the work that you're doing is all with people who are local to you. Not necessarily. Cause I can be virtual, right? So I can help them find yeah. things wherever, right? Like I kind of already have that and take the pressure off of like, the first thing you do is like, you want to make all the right choices when you find out you're pregnant and you're just are inundated and overwhelmed with so much information. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to find a way like, I basically am like a consultant and pregnancy doula because obviously I can't be there for birth. So that's not something that I can do, but trying to get women the information that they want without having to find it themselves. Yeah. Well, that's good because I know I get requests from people all the time. Do you know a midwife in this place? Do you know a doula in this place? And I'm like, no, I don't know anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to make more network, just make more connections and reach out just so that I can start to find that. So I worked with an IBCLC who's out of North Carolina. My mm-hmm. daughter had a tongue tie. So for the first 11 weeks of breastfeeding, ooh, it's very painful, but mm-hmm. I powered through. Been there. Yeah. So, yeah. So I feel like at this point, anything can be virtual and you can get all the answers you need. Yeah. Local as long not- as you, as long as you as the person who is the consultant know how to do the research for yeah. them to find the stuff yeah. that they don't know how to find. Then it, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I was just wondering if it was a more local thing because once you have a network in your local area, it's easy yeah. to say, oh, go use Emily, yeah. go to this yeah. person. Yeah. When you branch out to all over the U.S. and you can help anyone, it's just a new thing every time because you have to find new people in that area yeah. before you can recommend it. Yeah, anyway. right, right. Yeah, so I've been trying to make more connections and locally and Mm -hmm. otherwise. But yeah, that's, I I had a a conversation with a girl who's a labor and delivery nurse who had a home birth. Oh, nice. And we sat down, like she was like, is anybody sitting here? And I was like, you're going to choose to sit next to a baby? Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) she's like, I'm leaving my seven week old. And she's like, if she would have been eight weeks, I wouldn't have. But she'd been pumping. Her husband was there. It was only a couple of days. It was this bachelorette party that had been planned for a long time for a close friend. She's much younger. All the things. She's the first one having a child. But yeah, it was really interesting talking to her about. But she is very much an advocate for she's the nurse you want. Like she's going to advocate for what it is that they say. And she's also going to explain everything to you, which is why she chose that home birth. Yeah, I know. I think it's funny when labor and delivery nurses stay home and also (laughs) just talking to them because I'm hoping to have some people come on here eventually whose job that either is currently or was because they left as a sort of whistleblowers, if you will, because Mm -hmm. they get the things that they go through and watch 
and have to participate in that they're often not cool with is just mm -hmm. out of this world. And to be able to hear it firsthand from some people, I think would be really interesting because I think a lot of women naively think if they go to a hospital, everyone who gets into these jobs cares about you. And you, like you said, you can't know. It could be this woman that you met who's wonderful and advocates for you and sticks up for you having choices, or it could be someone who's awful and mm -hmm, you yeah. just can't know. So to know that both of those are out there and you need to prepare yourself if you're going into the hospital for either scenario and believe mm -hmm. that, yes, there are good people, but there also are really bad people. And we're not just making it up. This is, yeah, no. this really happens. But to hear it firsthand, I think will be helpful. So I'm hoping to find some uh, whistleblower. There's a documentary called Why Not Home. Have you guys heard of this? No. I have, but I haven't. Okay, I recently it. watched it again. And then I was like seven minutes into the documentary and I was like, I've seen this before, but I watched it again anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a documentary all about labor and delivery nurses and one OBGYN who all chose to birth at home. It's really good. Mm -hmm. yeah. have to watch anyway, it now. Tangent, really good. Yeah. Rachel, this was such an amazing podcast. I think people can learn so much from you. And Sarah and I advocate for out-of-hospital birth, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because we feel really strongly about it. I know you do too. Yeah. And hearing transfer stories that aren't scary and traumatic are so important mm -hmm. right. and so necessary because when I teach my classes, and I'm sure when Sarah talks to people, it's like, we're not saying a transfer is not a reality. It very much is a reality. Mm -hmm. We're going to not live there. We're going to pretend it's not going to happen, but I want you to know that it's a reality. And it doesn't have to be a terrible situation. Yeah. Of course, there's disappointment. There's why me? Why did this happen? Like all the whys behind it. But at the, at the end of the day, you had an empowering, positive experience because you were prepared mm -hmm. to handle the hospital system. And you were like, remember, I said, I don't want to fight any with anyone. And you're like, you're not yeah, going. Yeah, she was so scared. You're like, you're yeah. not going into it, having to fight them. Change your mindset. Yes. That's why I said to her. She was so upset about the possibility of having to fight people in the hospital. And I was just like, don't give them a reason to fight you. Like, you're not going to fight them. They're going to hear you. Like, just mm -hmm. believe that. And they really did. And it yeah. was so awesome. And so just not being afraid of a transfer is key i think it's key for a lot of women just to like settle into their nervous system and be like okay i'm not afraid like i can do this at home and maybe that's the maybe that's the mindset shift they need to have a successful home birth but then maybe it's the mindset shift people need to just accept yeah accept the outcome regardless of what happens yeah. and that is huge can i share just two other thoughts that i had so one, yeah. the, one of the things that I did, I don't know if you guys are familiar with tapping, but that was mm -hmm. really important to me. I had somebody come over and literally I tapped, I think two days postpartum to just work on getting that sadness out because it was really important for me to process that through so that I wasn't holding on to that for my daughter because regulating my nervous system is super important for me, especially doing that I'm doing this on my own right now. And then in the event that I do have another pregnancy, and birth, I will try for home again. And if I have to transfer to the hospital again, then that's what happens. But I'm not going to give up on it because it didn't go my way the first time. And then my last thought goes back to what I started with, which is I think that all of this happened so that I can have personal experience with going through each part, not have, it's still traumatic when your body's cut open, but being able to advocate and have a more positive experience is what's going to help me moving forward in helping more people. And I feel very strongly about the consulting and being called to that. It was not something that was on my radar at all until after I had her. We're the same, Rachel. Yeah, the same. totally. Yeah, it's it. Totally. I mean, it's true. And it's a good way to put a silver lining on something that is not necessarily all positive for you because mm -hmm. that was not what I wanted at all either. But if I had not gone through it. If I had not had my water broken, had an epidural, had the continuous monitoring, been stuck in a bed, had the IV I didn't want, have a surgery I didn't want, I wouldn't know what it felt like to be in that situation. And I certainly wouldn't be looking into helping other women to avoid that or just avoid making decisions out of fear or coercion. 
and right. at least making them from a place like you did of, I think at this point, this is what's best for me. I know all the things and I'm willingly making this choice because sometimes that's the right choice. And then knowing the options that you knew for the surgery to be able to make it less bad. That wasn't my position at that time, but now for other women, it can be because I went through it and I know that it can be better. Yeah. Because your one of your account was one of the ones where I was getting information from. Oh, good, it's getting out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you for sharing your story, Rachel. I know it's going to help so many people. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh yeah, I'm so glad you wrote it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Anything you want to end with? Oh, tell us where people can find you if they want. Oh yeah. To utilize your services for body work or consulting or any of the things where can they find okay you? so i have a separate consulting ig that's coming but i'll just give you my main one where you can find me it's at miss rachel so it's m-s-r-a-e-c-h-a-l my name is spelled a little differently okay. so on instagram um awesome yes yay well thank you so nice to have you thank you so much for sharing your story and i hope you all appreciate and got a lot of information out of this and we will see you all next week bye Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Birth Uprising podcast. Together, we can create an uprising in the birth world. Don't forget to share and subscribe so you can be notified every time a new episode is released.